Welcome to Spirit of Cinema, Episode 6, War of the Buttons. I've seen the film a dozen times, and still, as Ennio Morricone mentioned in our last episode, it's love at first sight. The images and the music are wedded from the first note. The year is 1993, the location, West Cork in Ireland, and Enigma Productions are making an adaptation of Louis Pergot's 1912 French novel, La Guerre des Boutons. Colin Welland writes the screen adaptation and John Roberts is making his debut feature. Starring two lions of Irish cinema, Liam Cunningham and Colm Meany, and with a cast of fresh faces bringing enthusiasm and joy to each scene. The film tells the story of rival gangs of kids from Ballydowls and Carrickdowls engaged in pitch battles with sticks and stones. The winners gain regional bragging rights the losers get their buttons snipped off and their dignity bruised. Over the course of a dozen skirmishes, the two leaders establish a grudging friendship. It's a wonderful story. I caught up with the film's composer, Rachel Portman, to get her thoughts on writing this gem of a score. I started by asking how she broke into film scoring with her first job. How did I get into my first job? Well... I had no formal training in writing music for films and I'd just done a degree in music at Oxford. Uh, afterwards, I, I thought, God, I really, really want to write music for film. And I'd, only done, I'd just done one student film. And I went to a talk and a screening by much-loved Alan Parker, who passed away earlier this year, very sadly, um, who's been really good to me. And he was giving a talk on Midnight Express and afterwards we all went down to the student bars or some pub. And he was really encouraging to young people. And... I sent him an audio cassette of the student film, the music I'd done after that. And he passed it on to David Putman. And within a week or so, I think it was a week, I, ha I had my phone number on it. Um, I got a call saying, um, would you like to come in and have a chat about doing some music? So, so I went round and I, I spoke to him. And he said, look, there's this film. It's a film called Experience Preferred but Not Essential. In the very early days of, of Channel 4 starting up with these brilliant films that were made beginning of the 1980s, 1982, I think it was something around then. I think it was being broadcast like three weeks later or something like that. And he said, um, would you like to have a look at it and see, see what you think of, uh, of it? He said, I'm, I'm not sure about the music that's on there at the moment. So I went away and I came up with an idea in my head on the piano. And I went back two days later and I gave him the, the audio cassette and, 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 and he listened to it and he said, right, you're on. He said, I'll help you. Put, put me in touch with the, um, uh, one of the producers working with him who helped me to put together this small orchestra and I was, I was really, really my first time. And then he said, um, how, how much money do you want for this? And of course I said, oh, I don't want anything. It's fine, don't worry, please don't worry. Um, so he wrote me a check. But I just remember, I do really, really remember what I was wearing because I had these, I never quite knew what to wear um, to such things. And I had a pair of little lilac dungarees, pale lilac dungarees. And I remember thinking that they were just the coolest things I had. And they were obviously what I should wear to go and meet such a great man. And back to War of the Buttons. I asked Rachel, what was it like scoring the movie? It was such a delightful film to write music for. And we had so much fun on it. But because of the nature of the film, the fact that all these kids and they, they, they had these battles and... Um, the spoils of the battles were buttons and everything was sort of like 
very rural, um, so, so wonderful in Ireland, just beautiful locations. In a lot of the percussion, it was very homemade and we used pots and pans and dustbins. I remember I've still got the great big dustbin lids that I bought. I think I bought them in a um, in, in market in Portobello Road um, that, that could be bashed together. And we record it in Ireland. And it was it was really, really fun. And we had Irish whistles. And it's got one of the films that, you know, I've enjoyed doing most because the spirit of it. I love writing music that can be irreverent and, you know, can have real spirit. And but I have to say, my kids, it's a seminal you know, film, a work of art for them. I mean, it's, it defines them. It's the, the, the favourite thing of all the things I've ever done. It's War of the Buttons. Often overlooked in film scoring is the moment our melodies, harmonies and rhythms come to life in the studio. I asked Rachel about her studio experience with War of the Buttons. I was working with an orchestra I'd never worked with before, who were terrific, actually. They really, really got into the spirit of it. And it's very easy for an orchestra to assume that it's going to be played in a certain style. And they all go into that swinging style or they all, all of the strings start playing with portamento or whatever and sliding between notes. And often I, I like borrowing those idioms, but then playing them in a sort of more classical way. So I think that's what I'm doing with a lot of War of the Buttons is that I'm actually, I'm not swinging it, but they are swinging rhythms. In-demand film composers jump from one job to the next. I've always loved how Morricone, John Williams, Bernard Herrmann and even Ralph Vaughan Williams take time to arrange their film scores and create a suite for the concert hall. This is what Spirit of Cinema is all about. For the album, I put two of Rachel's pieces from War of the Buttons together, the title's theme and Chasing the Fox, adding an intro and an into-the-distance outro for completion. I adore Rachel's melody here. Capturing both the playfulness and the seriousness of the story with A.E. Houseman's Happy Highways, Blissful Melancholia. Rachel uses a musical trick which always touches my heart. The mode of chasing the fox is mixolydian, an old Greek term for modes or scales. The mixolydian mode has a wonderful feature of being major in its brightness, yet having a flattened seventh or no leading tone. This mode gives the musical tone row a folk feel because of its flattened seventh. There is heartbreak in the five minor chord, which Rachel teases us with, alternating between the flat seven major and the heart-wrenching five minor chord. It's a master touch that makes the piece sustain interest long after the audience have left the cinema. This joining of two distinctly different pieces presented the challenge of moving from a duple time, 4-4, to a triple time, 6-8. The solution in this case coming from Mona Lisa's famous smile. Leonardo da Vinci is credited for coming up with the technique of sfumato, a smudging of the edges, to allow for the idea of movement, an idea the Impressionist painters brought to full fruition. The classic film orchestra responded brilliantly and the slight rallentando, the slowing down into the new time signature, helped to join the two pieces seamlessly. (music) 
Rachel's opening titles for the film set the scene with a gloriously authentic Irish melody, harmonised at first with a drone and then with all the subdominant colours so evocative of the deep history of emerald green. The piano antiphonal call and response was my way of being present in the ensemble on the piano. And there's also my favourite Vangelis piano lick I love to play whenever the moment presents itself. The opening piano runs and the cadences at the end I've reinterpreted from the many hours in the practice rooms playing Schubert. In Spirit of Cinema, episode four, Vangelis spoke eloquently about creation in the moment. Over the years, I've gathered notebooks full of melodic ideas just for that moment when I might need something. Stanley Meyer's famous Cavatina was actually written for a completely different project and never used and ended up on The Deer Hunter, becoming a worldwide classic. I asked Rachel... Does she have tunes in her back pocket ready for when she needs them? You know, I never had tunes in my back pocket. I wish I did. It'd be such a help when things are hard. Um, they, no, music for me is so spontaneous. And I mean, that, that music just happens so easily because it was such a great, great scene. And I mean, I think that's what I mean. You know, when you really resonate with uh, a story and a project in a film and it's it, the, the film really works, is. There's something that just happens. Music just sort of pours out. Rachel, you're in the unique position of being the first female composer to win an Oscar for a musical score. At the Oscars in 1997, you were sitting in the audience with your co-nominees, Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz, for The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mark Shaman for The First Wives Club, Randy Newman for James and the Giant Peach, and Hans Zimmer for The Preacher's Wife. Tell us what happened next. Oscar goes to, and the Oscar goes to Rachel Portman for Emma. Do you know what? It, it's unreal. The whole thing is unreal because it's far too big to take in, really. Because the, apart from else, the auditorium was just massive. It took, it felt like it took about ten minutes to walk from my chair when I got up onto the stage. And you know, you have a cameraman in front of you, kneeling down at your feet, sort of look like sort of pointing the camera up at you. So you can't walk any faster. And I mean, I, did, I wasn't wearing high heels and didn't have a tight dress. So I actually could have, I would have preferred to have ran there and ran off with it straight away. But so definitely collecting it first, but then getting out, getting out of there as quickly as possible. And it was, it was amazing. It was amazing, but it was, it was sort of kind of, I mean, my, my biggest feeling is that the whole thing felt unreal. And did, um, I and did your career change after that moment? Was that when Robert Kraft got involved? Was that when, what, what, what happened at that moment? Things definitely changed after that because, you know, I, I, was, I was young and I was suddenly trusted as, you know, a real contender for all these movies. And uh, so no, it definitely did. I mean, I think there's, it's, it's sort of like a, a badge of, of credibility, even though I, you know, I, I, had been doing you know quite a lot for many years suddenly it's, it's like you know if, if if the academy can give you a board like that that means we can all trust you so you know questions like i imagine i don't know like who is this english woman writing music you know it's a bit unusual to have a woman writing score you know there, there was barely anyone sort of doing film scores so you, uh, women and um 
you know, it, it sort of lent, lent credibility to me, I think. I think it's extraordinary how long it is taking for women, for, for parity with men and women. You know, there are many, many female film composers now. I, I have been uh, a woman amongst men so much in my life, in my working life. It's just, I don't even notice it. Um, I think there's much more aware, awareness of it now. Um, but I was so busy and so driven um, when I was starting out to, to, to write music film. It never, I never paid any attention to, you know, the fact that I was a rarity really. Rachel is still writing some of the best film music around. I urge you to go and listen to Rachel's latest album, Ask the River. Available on all streaming platforms, and we'll link to it on mayamusic.co.uk. Join us for Spirit of Cinema Episode 7, where we'll be diving into the superb score for The Killing Fields by Mike Oldfield. Stay safe, stay well, and see you next time. <laughs>